0: Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog sponsored by Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Welcome, folks. I'm Scott Postma, your host, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, Karen Elliott, who is the Executive Director for the Rafiki Foundation. And Karen, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Welcome. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Scott. I'm really looking forward to this. I appreciate the invitation and to be able to talk a little bit about what we're doing in Africa and beyond.
0: Well, I think one of the, the things to get us started that would be really important is Rafiki. What, what does Rafiki mean? Um, how is this important in what you're doing?
1: Well, Rafiki, uh, the word Rafiki is a swap word that means friend. And so we are a friend to Africans and come alongside Africans. Um, The um, Rafiki Foundation, our main mission is we help people know God and help them raise their standard of living. And Rafiki was founded by Rosemary Jensen and others in uh, 1985. Rosemary uh, was the general director for Bible Fellowship for 20 years, and prior to that she was a missionary with her husband, Dr. Robert Jensen. Uh, They were missionaries in Tanzania. So Rosemary had a heart for God's Word, a heart for Africa, and so while she was running Bible Study Fellowship, she founded Rafiki to help bring Bible Study Fellowship classes and help people in need, uh, help them raise their standard of living. Uh, by sending out missionaries to do other things in the community as well as teach BSF classes. So that was 1985, and that's how Rafiki got started. And we ended up being in a number of countries around the world. Uh, But then we began to focus a little bit more on Africa only around the year 2000. Uh, We had been asked by the First Lady of Uganda to start orphanages in 1992. So then by the year 2000, Rafiki began to focus its work primarily in Africa, on the African continent, because we discerned some of the most materially poor countries were there, and that's where we wanted to be. We started developing what we call Rafiki villages, one in 10 different countries in Africa. Uh, We are in um, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Malawi. And uh, Zambia, and then we're also in Nigeria, Ghana, and Liberia. So 10 African countries. And in each one, we have this Rafiki village on about 50 acres where we have a children's home for orphans, a pre K through 12 classical Christian school, orphans who live there, and children in need from the local community. Uh, And then in seven of the 10 sites, we've developed a teacher training college in classical Christian education. And so Several of these are now accredited programs. And so that's sort of the hub of our work as it comes, as it as it is with the classical Christian education at Rafiki Villages, educating these orphans and also children in need from the community. We're able to do all this because we have very generous contributors, donors mostly in the US, but also from around the world who help to provide scholarships for children from the community to come to our classical Christian school. But the heart of our work, Scott, is we are helping people know God. And we do that primarily through uh, Bible study. Uh, Rafiki has its own Bible study. And in a Rafiki village, everybody is literally on the same page. So this week at a Rafiki village in Kenya, for example, everybody could possibly be on Matthew chapter 23. Mm. And so in preschool, the children are learning something from Matthew chapter 23. The first graders start their morning with a hymn, a catechism. And let's all look at Matthew chapter 23. What verses you're in, they read the Bible out loud or they read to them. They actually are taught and they study. They memorize a verse. They sing a hymn. Uh, we have, everybody's on the same hymn. And uh, the teachers are also having their own study. The caregivers for the, for the children's home. The missionaries. The custodial staff. The security staff, the groundskeepers, everybody is on Matthew chapter 23, for example, at the Rafiki village, Kenya. Or they're on Leviticus chapter 18. They're all a little bit different because school schedules are, are a little different. But the key is every village is literally on the same page. We have found that to be one of the greatest protectors against mission drift. Uh, it keeps all of us um, thinking about God first in our schools. and. Of course, uh, throughout the life of a child in one of our schools, they will have studied every book of the Bible, because that's what we do. We mm-hmm. just go straight through. scripture, uh, And so in 13 years, they will have studied every book of the Bible at least once. So that's kind of the foundation of what we do. But, of course, we have the classical Christian education uh, in our schools, and we have our own classical Christian curriculum, which I can tell you a little bit more about that later. Uh, but. That's how we help people know God through Bible study, and this is how we help them raise their standard of living, by providing them the best education for a human being, which we believe is classical Christian education. Uh, The last thing I'll say here about this whole education system is that from my perspective, I think that uh, next to the family and to the church, a classical Christian school is an excellent discipleship environment. And so I'm excited. I think this is a way to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, Mm -hmm. which is to make disciples. So that's what we get to do in Rafiki in these 10 sites. And I'll say one other quick thing about this. Not only do we do this at our 10 Rafiki villages, and so we're helping maybe 3,200 children every day get this education. Uh, We employ about 600 African nationals. Half of those are Africans who are teachers in our school, so they're getting trained to be classical Christian educators. But we also have our teachers' college that are helping to reach 155 teachers, and it's a drop in the bucket. Um, But our our exponential growth for Rafiki is going to be through the church. Mm -hmm. We partner with 23 African denominations. These denominations will have maybe 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 schools under their supervision. Right now, Scott, all they have access to is a government secular curriculum. Over the last 20 years, we have developed textbooks, teacher texts, student texts with classical content, classical pedagogy, and biblical worldview built into every unit, at least, for all of the major subjects from preschool to high school. So our objective, and we we own it, we've written it, we design it, we print it, we ship it all from here in Florida. And our aim is to equip at least a thousand schools of these church partners to use this classical Christian curriculum in their own schools. So we have the teacher training and we have the content and we have the model schools to help them. So we're hoping, and you can join us in praying for this, because We could reach a half a million children with this every single day with this type of content, or a million. Um, And our church partners, uh, it's the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Reformed Baptists, uh, other denominations are very interested in this. And so uh, this is the way we hope to impact uh, beyond our 10 Rafiki villages.
0: I love this <clears throat> i I love that you said uh, a little bit ago that um that classical Christian education is a kind of discipleship or a means of discipleship and um while there is discussion about that, I firmly believe that and and I love that that you know historically wherever the gospel seed's been planted, it's always the academy that follows it's a natural outpouring, and what a way to bring together um you know, the, the work of Christ under, you know, this umbrella of classical Christian education. Could you maybe um, unpack just a little bit for our listeners, um, how, how is uh, classical Christian education perceived and, and uh, implemented um, in Rafiki villages?
1: Um, well, first of all, we, as I mentioned earlier, we do have our own classical Christian curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, When we first started our our orphanages, we realized immediately we were going to have to run our schools. So we looked at the government curriculum that was available, and it was uh, maybe not as academically rigorous as we would hope. And of course, it wasn't written from a biblical worldview. And uh, we had, uh, we were familiar with classical Christian education because the Geneva school Orlando is here
2: mm.
1: in, uh, in uh, Central Florida. And we were familiar with that. And so, but we, we realized we couldn't just buy a uh, curriculum off the shelf in America and use it. in Africa. And so uh, we decided to basically hire educators from the classical Christian movement in the States to write a lot of our content. And we also realized that, you know, the, the ideal of course, is to have students read whole text. Yes. But the problem is you can't find them in Africa. And we can't afford to run our model and supply whole text to the degree we would like. So what we elected to do was, for example, in the literature, is to, to get significant excerpts of classical literature, of the great conversation, and drop it in. So, they, so they'll read some John Donne. They'll read Augustine. Uh, they'll read some Plato, Shakespeare. They'll read Gulliver's excerpts of Gulliver's Travels um, and Pilgrim's Progress. So we've tried to retain as much of the great conversation as we can. We have logic. We have rhetoric in our schools as well, and the math and sciences and history. History is the backbone. So we have tried to follow that model as well as we can. Working within the uh, confines of the what's available in the country. We ship a lot of stuff over, but what we can do that's affordable. And working within the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the reality of the African teacher who has much less background knowledge than teachers even in the United States. I mean, I know there's challenges in getting teachers trained up in America to do classical education, but our African educators may not even have books at home. Okay, And so we're introducing everything from uh, children's literature like Charlotte's Web, as well as Plato's Republic. uh, Right. And so uh, we have to really spell all of that out. So basically, we wrote content and lesson plans for our teachers to help them embrace this uh, well. So we've tried to follow the great conversation. However, the other thing we tried to do with our curriculum is. Um, We have also made sure that anything that was true, good, and beautiful from the African context was included. We've been pretty intentional about that. Are we as far along as we would like to be? No, because we really needed to codify that great conversation. We wanted to make sure we extracted some of the best from the West into our content. But, yes, our students are exposed to, you know, of course, Augustine, he was North African. Yeah, Plautibek, uh, and Gogiwationgo—all you know—authors that in the last century have been recognized uh, as contributing to the great conversation, or art, or music—we uh, have tried to incorporate that into our curriculum. So that's that's how we approach classical uh, Christian education. Of course, every subject's written from a biblical. Worldview, so we have incorporated that into the material for the teacher to help them articulate that as well.
0: That's beautiful. I I love that you're bringing the West, you know, the, the best of the Western tradition, but then also the best of the African, you know, historical tradition uh, through the humanities. Um, that seems to me to be um, just uh, the best approach, and and that's fantastic. I um, I love to hear the way. Um, folks are innovating. I have a friend who was a missionary in, in uh, China and they did some of the similar things with, um, you know, with some of the historical, um, attributes of the good, true and beautiful, um, you know, from the Chinese culture with some of the best from the Western culture and, and bringing that together. So I love that. I really think that's the, the, the right approach for classical Christian education. And, and that leads me maybe to, um, maybe take a little different direction in the conversation just for a moment, because I would love to hear about your own educational journey. How did you, you know, how did you pursue your own education? What brought you to this place um, in this work that you, that you're doing currently?
1: Well, all right. So we have to go back to ancient times. Uh, <laughs> back in the day I was studying, you know, with, with abacus and uh, probably on stone tablets. That's how old I am. <laughs> I went to parochial school, Scott, uh, in Houston, Texas, and even during and, and, and in my day, even without air conditioning, and that's pretty bad with Houston, Texas heat. Oh, wow. But it was it wasn't too many years. That. So I had a parochial school education uh, through elementary school, and uh, and I loved that. Uh, I, I look back on that, and I think that was a great educational foundation. Small classrooms, an emphasis on religion, liturgy, reverence, and of course, I certainly learned how to read and write and do math. And so, um, that was a very good education. Um, but then we shifted to another neighborhood. And so I was in public schools for junior high and senior high. This was the 1960s and 1970s. Okay. And I will say that in my high school and and even in my junior high, we read the classics. Uh, I was in choir. So we sang a lot of beautiful classical music. I appreciate that. Um, I took Latin in high school, I think two years of it. Um, Mm. so, uh, uh, and I went on to college, uh, SMU, and majored in music, got courses in art history. I ended up settling on a business degree. And then later on, I got a master's in education uh, in the UT online system. And so uh, I, I would say that my K 12, K through 12, and even college experience, there were remnants and glimpses. Of what used to be what the educa- what education was in the West yeah. uh, definitely, uh, but it was not like the classical Christian education that's being renewed today. I would I would love to have been educated the way children are today in many of the classical Christian schools. Um, it's the reason why I'm pursuing the doctoral program at Faulkner University, oh,
2: that's uh, which is
1: a PhD in. Yeah, it's a good program. You were telling me that uh, you are in it. I'm, I'm about 20 years older probably than most of the students, uh, I think. But I, I was very encouraged when I was in Dr. Woods. I think it was in Dr. Woods' class, and I was reading one of the texts, and it told, said that Cato learned Greek at the age of 80. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when I heard that, I said, you know what? I can do this PhD program. You know, I can do this. I, only only it's, it's only by God's grace. Let me just put it that way. I mean, I, I told the board at, at Rafiki, I said, you know, you're going to have to pray for me because I don't know how I can do this thing. So, anyway, God is gracious and uh, I'm enjoying it. It's stimulating. And I'm hoping it's challenging. Let me tell you this. I'm going to give a, a little commercial for Faulkner University so they'll at least give me an A in this next course. <laughs> that uh, it's a great online program. It's challenging enough for people who have a humanities background, but I think it's forgiving enough for people like me who who have very limited exposure to the humanities. So I would, I would really encourage it. And I'm hoping to write my dissertation on uh, exploring uh, the history of liberal arts education on the continent of Africa. Uh, I, my my uh, thesis is there, it was successful, but then it declined for various reasons. And the aim is to help chart a better path forward Uh, to emphasize the great conversation while still incorporating whatever is true, good, and beautiful across cultures. And I'm hoping that it will be some sort of a foundational document that will help universities in Africa that have really embraced a progressive model Mm -hmm. uh, really in the last 50 development progressive model that that has been um, provided for them. And uh, I'm wanting to help have this as a foundational document that would help them see that this is this will work on the continent of Africa. It did work in the 19th uh, century uh, for a while at the higher institution level, and it and it did foster uh, the the free men and women and the thinking, the kind of thinkers you want for the future. You don't want to just educate people just to take a take test, and you don't want to just educate people to just do a test. You want to cultivate free men and women who can think and lead and have wisdom and virtue. And, I, and so I want to help show that. And that's kind of what the dissertation is about. And at least I, I think at this point, you know how that goes, Scott.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I think that is a noble so project.
1: Issue.
2: Thanks.
0: Yeah, sorry. I th- I think I I spoke over you there. There was a little bit of a lag, but but I think that's such a noble project for your dissertation and um and, and one of the things I love about classical Christian education is that we are in a mode of um, recovery. And so you were talking about the fact that, you know, at one time Africa had The kind of education that's, you know, that we're attempting to recover, you know, worldwide really in in many different facets here in America obviously is, is a big push. We've made, um, some progress in that way over the last 30 years, um, but I'm wondering if maybe you know we could all look at the news and and see what's happening in America, what what's happening with the progressive education, the progressive movement, and how is that um, affecting? You said that the progressive education kind of took over in the in the African uh, higher universities or higher education, and and so I'm wondering. How do you see what is the state of the African family? And I realize you're working in you know ten different countries, so that you know that might vary. But I'm I'm just wondering overall, what do you see there?
1: You know, I, I like to say this for folks about to people about our our friends in Africa. African parents are like parents anywhere around the world, uh, and and uh, they they want the same things for their children, and they want really good education for their kids. If they're Christian parents, they want their children to know the Lord. I'll, t- I'll give you the picture by t- telling you a couple of stories. We have a man by the name of Eric who uh, worked in the leadership. He's Kenyan, and he worked in the leadership at our Rafiki village in Kenya for several years. And so Eric's children uh, were in the public school for a while, and he was dissatisfied because the public school system in Kenya was teaching kids mainly how to prepare for a national exam and memorize information. Um, I think I'm, I'm articulating what he said pretty well there. So he started looking for other options. So he looked at other Christian curriculum, some of it international, and he was not satisfied with that either. It was a home school, and it was not as academically rigorous as he would like. So then he started researching on his own, and he found something called classical Christian education. <laughs> And he read up on it, and he read up on it, and he said, gosh, I wonder if there's any classical Christian education in Kenya. And then he found our Rafiki village. And so he uh, brought his kids to our school, and they just thrived, they flourished. And then he came to work for us for a while. Uh, I think his family situation changed, so now he's decided to homeschool. But he has taken our Rafiki curriculum and bought it, and is now making sure his children are homeschooled with our curriculum. And I think his daughter sat for the CLT, the 10th grade exam, and did very well. And so, uh, you know, he's, he's an example of a parent in Africa that's like any other parent. They want the best for their children. I'll tell another story. We've got a pastor by the name of Ken Mbugwa. Ken is uh, uh, a, uh, a leader in um, the Christian or in Christian circles in Kenya. Um, Ken has children he was looking to educate them at at a little preschool down the road and they were going to charge him a lot of money and he was like I can't afford that and so he knows about our curriculum so he went out and hired a tutor bought our curriculum got three other three or four other families together and said hey let's form our own little homeschool co-op and they're using our classical curriculum and Bible study Um, we have parents in Rwanda who want their kids to come to our school? So when the mom is pregnant uh, at seven months, they come and register the child for three for the for the three-year-old class. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, what's the current state of African families? They're like families around the world. Have they been hit hard by COVID and inflation? Oh yeah. When you only make two hundred dollars a month, and uh, or three hundred dollars a month. I don't care how cheap tomatoes or rent may be. Um, you're used to maybe getting two meals a day. Now you're down to one. And when, you, and when you, are, um, you have to be an entrepreneur and you can't really be in a lockdown, I mean, it put a lot of people out of business, a lot of people. And they didn't have the safety net like we had here. And now you have inflation. Now, we're unhappy with 8 and 9% inflation here. And, yes, I did just cancel my Netflix And so, and my coffee has gone up by two bucks a pound, but my food costs haven't gone up 30%, 40%, 50%. And this is what African families are facing. Uh, And so, uh, and so what we help with in Rafiki is we provide, again, this really good education. The parents pay something. They probably pay 10% of the cost, maybe 5% of the cost, maybe 15% of the cost. And the rest, again, we help to provide with people who sponsor children to come to our schools uh, where they get two meals a day and they get Bible study and this, and uh, as good as we can deliver a classical Christian education, uh, everything taught from a biblical worldview. the children do well and they are prepared to take national exams, but they also have a whole different educational system and ethos than other other kids in their, in their neighborhood. The parents love it. We have waiting lists for our schools. Um, and so I'll tell you this, Scott, just for your listeners, I would really ask them to pray for our work. Uh, we have tremendous opportunity to educate many more children and to help church schools adopt this material. And what I would ask people to do is to think about if God might be calling them to be a missionary, and to go out and serve at one of our Rafiki villages. You have a lot of people you educate with classical Christian education who have a knowledge base that they could bring to help us really establish this well in training up uh, educators for the African continent and proprietors mm-hmm. and church leaders to then take it and run with this. You know why we're, we're so excited about Africa? It's because Africa is home. To the next generation of the world. you know, I just read this recently. Uganda. 70% of the people in Uganda are under the age of 20. Africa is going to be home to one out of every two newborns in the next 30 years. Mm. So the future of the next generation of the world is on the continent of Africa. The future of the church is on the continent of Africa. Fast-growing large churches but the question is what kind of theology are they going to have yeah and from our perspective you give kids bible study you teach them biblical truth doctrine and you teach them how to think from with a classical christian curriculum then they will they will not abandon their faith easily they won't be carried away by every wind and teaching and they will be able to be God. Our goal is to make godly contributors to their country. And so, um, and it's, so I, I'm just, uh, I would love for men and women, and we don't need a thousand, twenty people, thirty people that God might call to give some of their life to helping those in need get something that they otherwise might not ever get. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, here in America, if you want to find good education, you can find it, and you can figure out a way to afford it. It's hard, harder in Africa. Uh, and so, I, I just, um, I'm gonna. I thought I'd just make that quick commercial. I hope you don't mind. No, and that's. Encourage people to think about serving, serving with Rafiki.
0: That's fantastic. Um, we're gonna put <clears throat> the information for the Rafiki Foundation in the show notes. But can you tell listeners where, who would they contact, or where would they go if they were interested in? um either serving or giving how how would they find you
1: sure just rafikifoundation.org is our website and there's you can see right there you know I want to serve as a missionary or I want to help sponsor a day student uh, those are our two biggest uh, opportunities for people to come alongside and partner with us in this work
0: I love this. I I love the fact that you're you're investing, you know, in humanity. You know, a, as you're looking at this from from that standpoint you just mentioned of the, you know, um, uh, the growth of Africa, because you know in the United States we we drop below the you know the fertility rate in order to sustain a, a country, you know what back in like 2010 or something, and and so you you yeah. see where these where these countries are having children. This is a place um, where you know the gospel and, and classical Christian education uh, can make a difference. I'm not saying that we, we should stop here, but but we could do some great work in investing in the next generation. And um yeah. I l- love what you're doing. Yeah.
1: Thank you. And it's not an either or situation. You know, there's enough resources to go around for a both and You know what I'm yeah. saying in terms of investing, investing here in America, there's needs here and, I think we're going to talk about that in a minute, about educational issues here in America. Of course there are. But it's not, you know, there's enough resources to go around in terms of manpower as well as money uh, in, in America to do both. I mean, you know, you can invest in ministry in China and uh, in Europe, in Africa, you know, you can, and in America. There's plenty of resources to go around. It's just, is our heart really outward looking? and faith-filled uh, in, and, and trusting, and, and but yeah, with a big vision to help bring this kind of thing to people around the world. Uh, and 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 I'm excited about the classical renewal in America. Uh, that's the engine for all of this. We are piggybacking off of what people have been doing for the last 30, 35 years, and people like you, and and I could name a bunch of folks, but I'll leave out, and then I'll make people unhappy. <laughs> Folks that I've met in the last the last uh, 15 years in, in these classical Christian circles that I really respect and appreciate, we've built off of that, and that's what's allowed us to move forward in what we're doing in Africa. So I love what's happening here in America. It's exciting, and uh, let's see it go around the world.
0: Yeah, amen to that. You know, one, one thing to, to provide a little historical context. You, you mentioned earlier that in your own education, you went to a parochial school and it reminded me that, um, when we go back to the early, um, you know, uh, progressive reform of education, 1890s and 1920s, um, one of the, one of the actual, um, uh, stable the stalwart or or citadels i guess of education was in the parochial schools where um they you know they fought uh, on on a legal level when there was sort of a lapsed protestantism into either a um, uh, a fundamentalism that was you know that that kind of had an anti-intellectual aspect or the liberalism that you know, that uh, got rid of the, you know, the truth of scripture. And, and, and so we had these, this kind of separation. And in many ways, and at least in the educational realm, the parochial schools did a lot to, um, to foster what would later become the homeschool movement, or at least laid the groundwork. So every generation, I, I bring that up to say that each generation has a particular kind of battle or some part in, you know, the, the historical renewal and the, you know, the spread of the gospel what do you see in this generation um and i was prompted to ask this question because you mentioned that you know there's enough resources to go around it's a hard issue what are we distracted by what what's happening in american education yeah. in america that that you know what's our battle today if that was the battle back then mm. mhm
1: that's a great that's a great question um i do think uh, you know can the education and America be redeemed. Um, um, I, I, I'm a hopeful person, and, and I, I think the classical renewal is providing the platform uh, for, for, for doing that um, to help redeem education. Uh, it's going on, and um, there are concerns. Parents have Christian parents today in parts of the, uh, in parts of the country, I think, um, about um, things being introduced through the public school system that perhaps may be contrary to their own Christian values. And so I'm grateful that in America you do have alternatives that, uh, for the, the Christian parent, And so that's really good. In other parts of the, in Africa, for example, it's not as easy. You can't just homeschool easily in some cases and so on and so forth. So I think there are, I think in that, that sense and that there are alternatives, Um, and a a variety of them, uh, is, is a, is a hopeful thing that it can be redeemed. Um, we, in fact, here in Rafiki, we are so hopeful that we are hoping to start our own classical Christian school in a church here, Mm. uh, in, in Florida. We have our, we have our own curriculum. We have teacher training. We want to help do that to model our curriculum. Uh, mobilize others to do the same using church facilities. I, I think there's a tremendous opportunity with all the church facilities out there that have classroom space that I think is not necessarily occupied during the school week. Mm-hmm. I think five week you've got a lot of real estate out there that is a, that might be available and could help with this classical renewal all the more. Do it. There are a lot of challenges to that. Trust me, I've talked with a number of people. But I I think with faith and prayer and perseverance, we can make good use of of empty classroom space in the church and open the doors to run classical Christian schools. And so we want to model that. And so we want to model our curriculum, and we want to help train others to do the same. Uh, We're going to work out a whole system. If you want to do this in Florida, Will to be able to tell you exactly how to do it um, and all of that. So we hope to be a resource to help others start classical Christian schools in their church in their churches. And 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 again, you know, is am I hopeful? Well, I'm here in the state of Florida, and I will say this: as a state, it does offer choice for parents because we all know the big problem is money, Mm -hmm. right? You're a middle class family, and you put four kids in a private school. Six to seven thousand dollars a piece or more. We know that. You know, in Florida, there are a number of options that are no strings attached. So there's educational choice, and that's beginning to get some traction, which offers parents an option. And why not? And so, with the church opening its doors, and with um, we are not the only ones doing this kind of thing. I I really applaud other groups that I know are doing this, and I'm thinking there's room for more. And so. Um, we we are so so I'm hopeful that there's there are alternatives uh, and that will provide uh, this kind of education to children and funding options out there. Now this isn't available everywhere. Funding options like we have here in Florida. So I'm asking God to raise up I don't know individuals or groups of people who would put together large scholarship funds for mm-hmm. people who want to run classical christian schools um that you can tap into anywhere through, throughout America and i'm asking the lord to to cause the churches to open their doors i know it's messy i know there can be conflict but you know what let me tell you this building 10 rafiki villages in africa that rosemary jensen had the vision and strength to do and she's still around by the way and and if she's listening I just she's my mentor and my friend, <laughs> but I'm telling you to develop something in Liberia right after the civil war and invest money and send missionaries takes faith and vision. Yeah. So I can't imagine that it would be any harder to get a little classical Christian school going at, in your church basement. Uh, and I and so uh, I think we need to see more of that, and I think we need to see God to raise up people with means. To help provide funding so people don't have to nickel and dime themselves to death over this thing. We ought to make it available, accessible. I know Kevin Clark is doing some great work with Ecclesia Schools Initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've got um, hope, the Hope Academies. I think they're doing stuff in the urban setting. I love it. So we want to join that fray, and um, we want to inspire people to do the same. So I think there's hope. I think there's hope.
0: I I love it. I love your optimism. and, And I love the fact that the idea of alternate education or what we call alt ed, um, is, is growing. I think as people becoming more and more aware of what's happening in Bohemian University and the public school system, that there is, um, an openness to what seems to be an alternative, which is really just a recovery of, of that, which was good. And we've, um, you know, the two schools that, that we started in, in, in my own career, um, have, we're both in churches and, and I love the model because, um, it, it's helpful for both. If, if you have a good working relationship and so like you just mentioned, there's a lot of real estate out there where, where schools can do that. And, um, another option, another thing, and I'll just make a little plug here. We've helped schools do this with Kepler and because we're an online platform, a schools that's just getting started and, and maybe they kind of have a one room schoolhouse you know, beginning or, or maybe even in a, um, uh, a co-op kind of hybrid situation where we can actually pipe teachers into them over the internet, you know, through the, um, uh, the live FaceTime and while they're getting started. So for example, if a school that's can't great. afford to hire a teacher, hey. sorry.
1: No, I said, that's great. Keep going.
0: Yeah. 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 I would just, so if, if a school can't afford to hire a teacher until, you know, they, they get a little traction, you know, they can you know, commission a class and, and, and have a teacher piped in, you know, temporarily or even long-term if it, if it would serve them, you know, as they're getting started. So there's, there's just lots of resources is my point and and I love your vision and I think that's what it takes is some vision and faith and, you know, prayer and commitment.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great resource. So that you've mentioned, you know, there's just a lot of different ways to do this and i all hands on deck. Let's yeah. do it.
0: Well, you know, and Abraham Kuyper, in um, uh, I was mentioned to before the the show, Dr. Wendy Naylor did she edited the um, uh, that volume on education. It documents um, his you know thirty year battle with um, the Netherlands in in the public education system to get parental choice because he argued that parents who have to pay taxes for the public school system and then they have to pay for tuition to a school that actually fits their worldview is is disingenuous and, and you know, um, unjust. And, and he made a lot of headway there. And I think there's some model uh, work. It wouldn't you know, work out the same way in our constitution. But I think, uh, states like Florida, I think North Carolina and Nevada have different kinds of options. So that's another avenue I think that we could press into is in legislation to get those, you know, parental choices. And, you know, so there's, there's lots of things happening. Well, there really are. Karen, um, this has been a a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot and and very thankful for your time. And I was wondering, as we wrap up, if you have any final thoughts, advice, suggestion that you would want to leave with our audience, what books are you reading right now? Um, and and let you kind of have the final word.
1: Scott, I've really enjoyed this and I thank you for the opportunity. I'm going to just go basic here and, um, for me, the, the best book always is the Bible, and I would encourage you to study a book of the Bible. Um, I, think, I think Hebrews is a great New Testament book, Romans, you can't beat that, Genesis and Exodus. Um, so uh, I would just study the Bible, and I'm going to go. We do have a Rafiki Bible study uh, for every book of the Bible for small groups and for schools that is, a, that is available for uh, people to access and uh, use, and it helps our mission in Africa. So, again, you can also check that out on our website. But as far as just another book, I would also encourage, um, Rosemary Jensen wrote a book called The Attributes of God, mm. and I would encourage that for anyone to use for their own personal devotional time. It's a 30 days of going through scriptures about a particular attribute of God, and it can be purchased through Rafiki, and that, too, helps the mission You know, and I say this for educators, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And nothing helps me have a loving reverence for God than focusing on his attributes. And today, with the lack of Bible knowledge, I was just stunned to read the Ligonier State of Theology that just came out. You have 43% of evangelicals who say Jesus was a great teacher but he was not God. And that's 43% of evangelical. And so I would, I would encourage anyone uh, to one, make sure you are in the word of God yourself. Secondly, lead others in a Bible study and you can use our materials. And thirdly, you know, use Rosemary Stenson for your own personal devotional time, the attributes of God. So those would be some recommendations from me.
0: Fabulous. Karen, thank you so much. And uh, God bless you in your work. And uh, for our listeners, the information on the Rafiki Foundation are there in the show notes. And sure, sure appreciate your time and and willing to talk with our audience today. God bless you.
1: Thank you, Scott. I really enjoyed it. Take
0: care. So long, folks.